Raven, your acid bath princess of the darkness. And I'm Tara. And we're sitting here in Tara's room, rocking out to MCR and celebrating 2009 or the new year! Which we don't really understand why people are making such a big deal about it because really, one more year is one more year that everyone's closer to death. Whatever, suit yourself, humanity. Congratulations. Queer Horror Cult, number 52. That's the same number of weeks in a year. Yeah, yeah, we've done a year's worth of content, and we're not even at our year yet, so I'd say lucky we're on the Lucky you. Ball. Yeah, yeah, lucky you, dear listener. I hope you're enjoying our, um, our run-up to Halloween so far. We've uh, sort of saved some very horror-centric episodes for this month leading mm-hmm. up because uh, i know sometimes we go on our little dalliances into cult movies and just general weirdness which more specific subgenres. yeah but we figured all right cool you know evil dead that's as splatter as you can get vampires and this week is falling right on that trend we are talking about gothic horror movies you know the sort of things that are set in the big old house like the castle the manor and just has that gothic sensibility mm-hmm. about it, which I suppose I should probably dust off my rusty old English degree. Please and do. Maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah, because you're saying like, oh yes, that gothic sensibility, and I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, I know exactly yes. what that is. Stroking well, my beard, going, ah, yes. Well, I remember in high school they they taught it as like the seven M's of gothic horror. Did you ever get that one? No. Oh fuck, I don't remember what it is. It's a macabre mystery malevolence. Um, and then four other ones at the end of M. I'm sure it was one of those, uh, ones that stretched it where it'd be like, empathy. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff like that. Um, mm, ghosts. (laughs) So it'd be like acrostic poems from twitter.com? Basically, basically, except this is what the teacher was teaching our young impressionable minds. Right. Um, it wasn't quite so structured or simplified when I got into some of the 18th and 19th century lit classes I took. Mm-hmm. But Gothicism sort of goes back to something I brought up when we were talking about Mandy, and it's the notion of the sublime mm-hmm. to it, which is that there's something like awe, like you're awestruck, and there's sort of like a terror innate in that. Mm-hmm. That's uh, like the archetypal old school um, Gothic stories where you have they they took place in castles or big manors, right? Like um, one of the first regarded novels is called The Castle of Otranto by Horace Walpole. And, you know, right there, it's a castle. That's Mm -hmm. the premier setting for that. And you get so much of that as it goes. You get stuff like the Italian, the monk, and they just loved taking up this castle. And that even went into the more famous later gothic stories like Frankenstein and Dracula. Mm -hmm. You know, like the Transylvanian castle up on the hill above the town or Frankenstein's castle. You know, he has a lab. Of course, it's in a fucking castle. Of course, naturally. Because it just creates this kind of moodiness. Like it's this on this like 
structure. The, that's the other part of Gothicism, because there's a medievalism to it. Right, okay. And so they are actually basing it originally off Gothic architecture. Mm-hmm. That is where the name comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of the stories were more contemporized. Like, medievalism was big in Gothic literature. But, sure. Uh, it kind of carried on beyond that. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that it was taking place necessarily in, like, medieval times so much as yeah. just medieval themes. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure medievalism was probably one of the other M's. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> and these stories always sort of got into a horror bent. Like, it, it doesn't have to inherently be what we would today call a horror story to, mm-hmm. to fit into gothic literature. Because the literature we're talking about, it comes out of romanticism. Yeah. And... Well, I can talk about romanticism. I know all about that. I don't know oh, shit about gothic. Gothic romanticism, that's what it is. <laughs> okay. I mean, there's so many different uh, variations on gothic. Like, you got Germanic gothicism. More recently, you've got Southern gothicism, which is like... The Southern Gothic is this Americana, mm-hmm. like deep of south like kind of deep south thing. I actually have a, a list curated to do a Southern Gothic episode someday, nice. so I think that'd be pretty cool. That'd be sick, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, like I mentioned, Frankenstein. That's probably one of the most famous crossroads of Gothic and horror. Like I'm not trying mm-hmm. to separate them out too much because sure. they're they really are kind of imbued into one another. But with Frankenstein being considered like one of the progenitors of modern horror. And being just like so many of the gothic archetypes, that's really what you've got going mm-hmm. when you uh, get into it. For sure. And then, of course, we've got famous ones like Edgar Allan Poe was a more modern right. gothic author. And uh, yeah, I believe his stories were often quite contemporary like, for mm-hmm. their time. So it wasn't always like we have to do the medieval. Right. Uh, that medievalism could be stripped away and the story could still be there. Mm-hmm. But in the movies we're talking about today... A lot of them take up the medievalism in terms of the architecture as well as the gothicism in terms of story themes and structures. And that's kind of like, because you were looking at a list before we started of modern gothic horror and just various gothic horror things. And so many of them, it's like, yeah, I totally see how it comes up to gothicism. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking in mind, like the big spooky castle kind yeah. of thing. Like that's sort Whereas of Whereas I think I this had. was maybe some of the ones on the list um, had more to do with they were talking specifically about, like, sentimental, I guess more the romanticism, like, the love story that's at the center of so many gothic horrors. Well, yeah, and... gothic, gothicism is really emotive, too. Like, that's mm-hmm. probably why you got goth rock is just, like, all my feelings and, <laughs> and darkness kind of thing, because, yeah. I mean, that was there in gothic lit. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's all sort of interrelated. Yeah, um, and that's a big part of romanticism, too, in general, so... yeah. I don't know how this goes back to gothics, as in the original goths. Yeah, they're like sacked Rome. Rome, (laughs) Uh, I I would be interested to look into some more historical stuff. Yeah, beyond their connects, beyond the uh, architecture that they've left us, it's like I wonder were they were they as moody and dark and sentimental as like the rest of us? I could just see a wave of beat poets just coming over the hills. Just a wave of high schoolers. It's like, all right, now it's the Rome's turn. <laughs> but yeah, as far as like the modern gothic stuff goes, like you mentioned something like Eyes of My Mother was on that mm-hmm. list. And I could see where that fits into it so much, but that's not quite what we're doing today. Maybe no. a future episode we'll come back to our... Our gothic faves. Our, our contemporary counterparts. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be yeah. cool, too. Um, because a lot of the gothic, at least the classical, I guess, kind of, like, gothic stuff that we're talking about strikes me as very modern, and specifically to, like, the modern period, not, like, late modernity, like, right now, but that sort of, like, you know, Mary Shelley's period. Yeah, like, modernism. Yeah, like, yeah, modern. Yeah, because yeah, I know modern kind of gets 
use. Well, there's two meanings. There's the there period are. of modern modernity, and then mm-hmm. there's also like this is modern, meaning it's it's contemporary. Yeah, yeah. So it's all it's so it's sort of I guess misused almost because we have mm-hmm. the word contemporary, but yeah. um, but yes. So when I say that it's it seems very modern, it's very much like I mean of the like of the time the modernist yeah. period. Yeah. I mean, you know, some people argue that we're we're now in late modernity, but it's still different from like early modernity, classical, you know, whatever um, you want to call we're it. We're in post modernity. That that too. <laughs> uh, no, the first movie we watched, I I knew we were gonna watch this from the very beginning, but when I I always do a look to see what other people are saying about topics. Like if I'm like, oh yes, we're doing Frankenstein's, so I'll look at like best Frankenstein stories right. and stuff. Uh, this one topped every single list <laughs> so it felt like a no-brainer this is mario bava's 1960 black sunday mm-hmm. which is one of those really early like this is gothic horror it's uh the italians we've got going here it's mm-hmm. so it's because i know hammer horror was operating around the same time and you know they were doing their takes on dracula and frankenstein and mm-hmm. the wolfman and that their whole thing was gothic horror yeah and I didn't include any Hammer Horrors in this episode, but that's because I think I want to do a Hammer Horror episode. Be worthy of same, its own. same with, like, Amicus and, like, these these uh, film companies that, from, like, the 60s and 70s, were doing gothic horror, like, contemporizing them. Right. Um, but no, this is Italian horror. This is an early Italian horror piece. It's in black and white and all that, so it predates the whole explosion of color palettes mm-hmm. in Italian horror, which, you know, that's one of my most favorite striking things about Italian horror is the way they use color. But this one does great work with, uh, you know, what is it? What's it called? Chiaroscuro? Chiaroscuro? Yeah, like the light and dark use of shadows, as they did when they were shooting on black and white. Mm -hmm. They kind of had to, because how else would you see? How do you make it an interesting image? Exactly. How do you compose? (laughs) And Mario Bava started as a cinematographer, Mm, so his movies are so beautiful to look at. But sorry, you were going to say... I was just going to say, yeah, with black and white, like, you need to light it in a completely different way, coming even just from photography. Mm-hmm. I know that, like, yeah, the lighting, because the contrast is so important, because there's no... Yeah. Like, you still have your gray tones and stuff, but it's yeah. it's different than color, so you really have to be mindful in yeah. what kind of, like, filters you use, if any, and they all have very different effects. Yeah it's, yeah, it's really interesting stuff. Have you done much black and white photography? No, I mean, I did a little bit, like, we experimented a bit in, like, I don't know, high school okay. photo class. We had, like, black and white film, maybe, I think. But okay. otherwise, no, anything I've ever done has been, like, shoot it digital in color and then convert it. Yeah, or, like, I think the closest I've gotten is uh, getting the black and white uh, instant photos for my Instax. Mm-hmm. That's, like, the closest I've gotten. Oh, yeah, yes. you know, with an Instax, okay, so you're not, like, let's get the lighting right and all that stuff. It's just, like, oh, there's the cat doing something stupid. <laughs> Exactly. Um, <laughs> the flash comes on automatically, so any light that you do have is like, well, that's uh, that's gone. <laughs> yeah, but the black and white in this, they do, they did it in Black Sunday. But one of my favorite things is the effects work you could get away with mm-hmm. that you can't do now. And one of them is where they would do makeup on the person in a certain color and then light them in that color because in black and white, it's not going to show up. So if you do like. Like, we see this face that's all, like, wrinkled and scowled, and, it's, and in camera, the wrinkles all sort of fade away. And I guess how they would do that is they would do, like, a red light on red makeup for the lines, and then they would crank it to a different color so the lines show up. I was wondering how they did that. Yeah, that's so smart. The old school Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde movies, that's how they did the transformation in some oh, of those. Oh, I love it. And it's, uh, it looks like a bit of a dated effect, but it's just, it's so cool in how they do it that... It's one of those ones that you can't just be like, oh, they superimposed it, or that's clearly a puppet that's poorly crafted. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, what? what? What's going on here? <laughs> that's really yeah. cool. But yeah, uh, Black Sunday opens with the big 
brooding castle grounds. It's like straight up in medievalism. Mm-hmm. And we have a... Oh, God, we talked about this last week. A witch or a vampire, depending on who's talking at that time. Yeah, she ha- a- she kind of follows both. It's like, well, we have, she's, she, like, sucks blood, but we have to, like, burn her in a pyre like a witch. Yeah. But she can only be out at, like, night. And, and like, at one point, they try to stake her through the heart. Yeah, they're like, like actually, you're just kind of need to, like, remove her left eye. <laughs> It it, was, it, it's it's a mishmash of uh, it's a mishmash of ideas, yeah. but um, I think that's what makes it interesting because the mm-hmm. mishmash of ideas I think works great, but they they specifically drop like she's a witch in like that classic witch way, and yes. they also it's like ah oh, we've got to slay the vampire, <laughs> and so they're dropping all of this uh, kind of language in mm-hmm. it, but it's um, I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> uh, but one thing they do, and this is like so early Italian horror for me, is at the beginning of the witch burning, what they do is they make her wear the mask of Satan. Right. Which is this brass, like this metal mask with all these spikes inside. It's like an Iron Maiden for your face. Yeah. And they put it on her head and then hammer it down. Blood gooshes out everywhere. Naturally. And it's like, I know this was 1960, so it was slightly before Blood Feast, and it's not like that gory by today's standards. Like it's no splatter flick. Mm-hmm. But I would have been shocked in the day, I'm sure, because I didn't expect it to get that graphic. And that's the thing is, it's not, like, graphic in, like, like you said, in a splatter way, but it's graphic in that, like, it leaves just enough to the imagination that you're like, I feel it! Oh, God, no! But at the same time, while showing a little more than I expected That's true. Yeah. But but it's still just enough to kind of sell it and really have that, like, impact that's like, oh, God, they just did that, and, like, I can feel spikes in my face, and yeah. <laughs> there's that sort of brutality that sort of mm-hmm. comes up in later Italian horror. So Definitely. it was cool seeing that at the onset. Seeing of the seeds of it, movie. I guess, yeah. Yeah, but we jump ahead in time. It's still sort of medievalist in the mm-hmm. in its contemporary time. Like we've mm-hmm. got like people by stagecoach, so maybe it's like more 1800s maybe. or something. But it's uh, what does it say? It says two centuries later. I think after so. After the the thing, these people go to the castle and like they're. Um, moving in there and they find this crypt with the witch in there and she's all rotten but as they point out well preserved for 200 fucking yeah, years yeah they're like they're like it's as if she like parts of her are all gross but then you see other like her yeah. um i don't know part of her they're like oh my god it's like she was killed yeah. yesterday this that's some like satan magic for you yeah. but that was another great effect thing when it shows mm-hmm. like her her eyes are scooped out. And again, that was like, I was kind of shocked by that image. Again, <laughs> I had to temper my expectations. I don't know. I kind of, I think I was in the mindset of more like 1930s horror where it had to uh, all be implied. But great. no, this was a... Uh, like, and it is Baba. Yeah. Yeah, like the gory eye rejuvenation scene. Right. That was another thing. This is like the proto Hellraiser. Oh, totally. Because what kicks off the action is that dude cuts his hand and bleeds all right. over her yeah. face. And then she's just like, And then she starts coming back to life and regenerating. And it, I was just thinking of Hellraiser, uh, you know, like a good 28 years later. Mm-hmm. But when they're moving and he cuts his hand on the nail and the blood hits the floorboards right. and the guy just kind of melts up out of it. <laughs> It's like, oh man, this is proto Hellraiser, and totally. I'm into it. I'm trying to think of something else that I that's even more recent than that that has that same kind of. Uh... Oops, I accidentally cut myself. I'm bleeding. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's fine though. Just it's just a couple drops. Those couple choice drops just landed in the perfect boop, place. Boop. I can't think. of I what. feel like we've but watched something. We have right, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's, like it's definitely a, like a trope that's still yeah. very present. Yeah. But then what happens after that is we get spooky murders from beyond the grave. (laughs) Uh, And what this movie makes great use of is 
the scares and horrors going on in the castle. Yes. Like, I just love the scenery in this mm-hmm. one. It's it's these spooky, spooky woods surrounding them, and it's just like this old stonework everywhere, huge murals hang up, hanging up on the wall. Yeah, they've got the painting of the witch mm-hmm. kind of thing, who is played by Barbara Steele. Uh, this is like one of those iconic roles for her. But she does a dual role in this where she also plays like the princess or I I can't remember the name of her as a princess or not, but she's like whatever aristocratic. Yeah, the aristocrat young lady. And one thing I found that was interesting about the dual role in this is they didn't allude to it as much as I would have assumed they would. Like they didn't really get into, oh, wow. Like, you sure look like that old person. Maybe there's a reincarnation angle. Like, that was kind of almost left unspoken right up till the big doppelganger ending. Hmm. So I'm trying to remember if this was, um, because I think they said that, because, yeah, it was two centuries later. So the so one century after the witch burning, because it was, the, I think the witch was like a princess yeah. and her brother betrayed her. Yeah. Yeah, so one one century after the witch burning, part of the castle like collapsed and they it killed like wh- you know whoever in the ro- royal aristocratic whatever yeah. you want to call them family, and then this this hundred years later, um, I'm pretty sure they mentioned that like oh yeah so and so was like the spitting image of the witch and yeah oh, okay okay so I just glossed over that yeah I like, okay. I, I, think I think it comes up but but yeah they definitely don't overplay it where every time someone sees like oh wow you sure look like that bitch in the painting like. <laughs> Well, that, that is a big one, the family curse. That comes up yes. in so many of these movies. Oh, God, yeah. And uh, this is no different. So um, you're telling me that the, like, Kennedys are, like, modern gothic horror? Modern goths. Yeah, modern exactly. Goths. Oh, now I, I'm thinking, do, like, a gothic horror take on one of those, like, cursed movie productions, like the Poltergeist curse or, or like the Macbeth. Exorcist curse. That, too. Gothic Macbeth. Well, now we're just doing what they did in we're opera. Just, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I fucking love the version oh, of Macbeth and Opera. So good. I, yeah. I would see that. Yeah. Um, but this almost mis- mismatches, and I know you pointed at this, but some, like, Scooby-Doo-isms. Oh, my... Okay, yeah, no, yeah. this made me realize. I'm like, is Scooby-Doo, like, gothic horror? Like, did its inspiration come from Scooby-Doo these old movies? Scooby-Doo is so gothic horror. Like, So definitely. gothic horror. Like, all the yellow yeah, spooky mansions. I mean, even in some of the first episodes, they go to... Ca- like, there's a, one of the first episodes ever. It's called Hassle in the Castle. Of course it is. I know, right? That's so good. <laughs> but yeah, I can think of several where they, they um, end up at these like old spooky castles or old spooky haunted houses that are like giant Adams Family-ass manors yeah. and stuff. So, But also some of the um, the action, I guess, that was mm-hmm. happening, like the, you know, the trap doors in the floor under a rug that some dude gets like foiled There's a secret by. passage behind the painting. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my God, this, this is Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Scooby-Doo is this. And then they do the messing up with the identities, too. Not quite as uh, uh, in your face with, like, let's see who you really are pulling the mask off. But, like, the way that they do the the flipping of the, oh, no, there's the dead witch. Or is that the dead princess? Right, yeah. Like, what's going on? Which one is which? Which one's the real one? Which one's the imposter? It reminds me of that meme of the two Spider-Mans pointing at each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is the gothic version of that. I think of so many... Version. I'm like, oh, there's an episode of Goosebumps where they do that. Yeah. There's, like, Ash vs. Evil Dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, the Ash vs. Evil Dead one is, like, the most iconic <laughs> thing ever. And then there is a bit of the early touches of Italian mystery movies going on in here mm-hmm. where, um, like, they've got the unreliable eyewitness in the girl who was, like, saw the coach right. going off the castle. And it's like, but the driver wasn't there. And 
it's um not to say that this was like the forebearer of Jello necessarily, sure. but it's um I mean Mario Bava did do the early Jello flicks, mm-hmm. so seeing that kind of Italian mystery just creeping in ever so slightly beyond the big mystery of the Gothicism, right? It's like we see you, yeah, yeah, we see you there. We're rooting for you. Go big and strong. Yeah. But it's... It's what I love about this kind of gothic horror, though, is the way they do use the sets Mm -hmm. and uh, all that, because everything is so imposing and powering that it'd be like... It's like the cliffhanger effect, where it's like, oh, we're we're doing this action movie on the side of a mountain, where everything's, (laughs) like, so huge and and dangerous and just like and you almost get that from the the castle Mm -hmm. itself like yeah they're sleeping in it they're treating it like a homestead in some ways but you never it never feels safe no definitely and it definitely feels like it's like it's 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 we know it's human made but it still seems like it has that sublime kind of quality that it's just like i think we'd usually associate with like you know like the the big mountain and the cliff rather than like the human built edifice yeah so and i feel like the older the kind of uh structures go the more that line gets blurred where it's like we treat the like the things with a reverence where it's like and understandably so like historical artifacts i'm definitely behind that definitely but it's one of those things where it's like oh we're not looking at it as, like, here's a building in our way that some people just built at some point. Because yeah. it's like, yeah, technically that's true, but right. there's this uh, reverence for it that's almost like the same reverence for nature. Yeah, which um, is huge in romanticism. Yeah. But then I guess, um, if we want to bring it back around, we're talking about, like, reverence for nature and stuff. I know that because I um, studied, like, romanticism specifically in the context of, like, Scandinavia. Right. Um, because we like Hans Christian Andersen big into romanticism and then he was around for the modern breakthrough mm-hmm. which is like a sort of like the pendulum switches back more towards enlightenment type ideals which is like the rationalism the right. human over nature the mind over body the rationality over emotions the yeah. you know so on and so forth civilization over nature all these things um so because yeah we, we had enlightenment then the pendulum swung swung to romanticism then in, in this area at least it swung to the modern breakthrough but then it swung back to neo-romanticism but yeah. neo-romanticism was very also specifically um like it was a provincial romanticism so it was specifically in a lot of cases looking towards like local kind of traditions and stuff so it's like right. oh our local peasants or all our in our province we're looking really at our history and it was there was more like nationalism to it i guess in a way interesting like i don't know if there was any like militant like you know like white nationalism or something yeah. but it was definitely like looking back to like our local history and our or our country our province whatever you want to call it and so there was that more kind of like cultural specific element to it as well so i'm wondering how that ties into like, you know, this gothic horror. And I mean, I know it came out of Europe, but it's very much like European castles and like European medievalism. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, there, there could be some really interesting work taking the gothic subgenre to non-Eurocentric Yeah, like the Arab world or something. That would be so fucking cool. Or even parts like, you know, how, um, Vampire Lesbos goes to Turkey and you get that really sort of, like, east versus west kind of, like, crossover and you see it in the architecture and, like, and you get that in so much around, like, the Mediterranean and stuff. So it'd be really interesting to see. The closest I can think about that is the prologue scenes in The Exorcist. Oh, But then that just makes me think, at what point are you just dipping your toes in Orientalism? Totally, yeah, that's true. 
Like, I guess I'm saying I want to see the stuff, but maybe don't let white people make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, let the let the the people in let that the, context yeah. show what it what they have to show from it. Not like mm-hmm. yeah, the white gaze going in and like making crafting it into what they want it to look like. I wonder if you can make a case for Under the Shadow being oh. gothic in the sense that it's like instead of it's a modern apartment tower instead of the uh, the castle the castle, but there is that looming threat the Absolutely. entire time so there's always this unease in the homestead no matter oh, what i like that i'd have to re-watch trouble in it. love yeah. oh, I'd, I'd rewatch it anytime of course, ghosts or ghosts. ghost-like entities yeah they're they're gym in it so yeah yeah cool. which is a folkloric tradition in there so that would be back to your more provincial romanticism yep. really if you want to or that like yeah that's yeah. that's a good point because or national um, rom- yeah i mean like ghosts show up so fucking much in gothicism and gothic mm-hmm. horror but but i mean that's because ghost stories were so fucking big in europe like, totally <laughs> fucking charles dickens was just like yep there's ghosts but of course he was also like yep there's human spontaneous combustion i am a firm believer we're gonna combust in any second like he, that's awesome he was so into spontaneous human combustion <laughs> who knew one of his uh fucking novels i can't remember which one but it's like some serious novel it might have even been dombey and son the one that i had to read that was like right. a million pages yeah thick. But there's one character who gets written out by spontaneously combusting, and it's just like, that does not fit the tone of this novel. Like, well, it was a thing, it happens, it happens to, it can happen to anyone, man, like, and yeah. we're just, you know, bringing awareness to spontaneous yeah. human combustion. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Oh, but, fuck. uh, black, back to Black Sunday. Black Sunday. Because, <laughs> uh, sorry, I... we're talking about ghosts and we're talking about romanticism, and I'm like, oh, I just want to get into Crimson Peak, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We will be. Yeah. But we will be. No, Black Sunday, I really liked this one. I've seen it mm-hmm. once before, but it was a long time ago. It's actually at the point where I think I've seen it once before, but it might be like, just maybe like I the screenshots it. and being so aware of it. Right, because it's just on all of the tops, all the lists and everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but uh, yeah, it was great. Good old Barbara Steele. Just yeah. uh, being creepy, being spooky, being a gothic queen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it was a good one. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. Because uh, you have not watched much Mario Bava, have you? No, I don't think so. In fact, I think this might have been the first one you've watched, so yay. How do I know so much about him if I haven't seen... That's wild. Because I talk about him. I know, him. Because, because, yeah, because I know you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. Cool. Next up, we really went Italian with it. Mm-hmm. We decided to look at Red, the Red Queen Kills Seven Times from 1972. So it's gothic horror, Rome Strikes Back. Yep. What I love about this one and why I wanted to include it is it's like, you can either look at it as a gothic horror by way of the giallo or a giallo by way of gothic horror, depending True. on how you want to lean it. But it combines the gothic horror subgenre with one of my all-time favorite <laughs> subgenres, the giallo movie. Mm-hmm. And it does his other movie. He has uh, another movie called The Night Evelyn Came Out of the Grave really fits into that gothic horror thing too but i wanted to focus on this one because of two main elements the family curse mm-hmm. big big family curse thing that's like the whole overarching plot big here. time family curse and the big big castle yes and the, i mean the title in it there's queen in it so it still yep. has that like aristocratic um like medievalist because mm-hmm. i mean i know there are still like royal families today but they don't play nearly the same role that they yeah. would have in the more like medieval period yeah absolutely so this one uh, begins with the two little girls playing together who are sisters. You have the one who... Yes, like, playing. Playing, yeah. Well, one's playing by herself, and then the other comes in and, like, terrorizes her. Yeah. Steals her doll. They go to No-No, and they're like, No, no, give, give, no, give me my doll back. And then there's this... 
giant fuck off painting on the wall yeah. of the black queen and the red queen, and the red queen is killing the black. No, the black. The black. Okay. Stabbing the red queen in the throat. That's right. And um, because I think the curse is like the, the, cur- the red queen comes back, back for and revenge. kills seven times. Yeah, and, and then the it- black queen will be the seventh victim. Yes, that's right. Okay. Yeah, because of the the red queen was the first victim, but then she comes back for revenge. Yeah. Yeah, and then so and then the, the mean sister has a moment of like brief possession or something, and then she's like, oh, "I'm the black queen, and you're the red queen. I'm gonna fucking kill you." Yeah. It's weird. So. Yeah, it's a moment. It's a moment. Yeah. And then in the future, um, the, I guess, black queen, she, would she be, would she be the black? I don't know. One of the, one of the queens, one of the sisters, if we're symbolically calling her a queen, is like doing her thing. She, oh yeah, she's, she's, she's a fashion sister, photographer. Yeah. Oh no, 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 the, the non-abusive The non-abusive fashion. sister is a fashion photographer. Yeah. The abusive sister is traveling America. Traveling we don't America. have a way to contact her. And, um... And that fashion photographer thing, that's big, like, more, another Jallo. Yeah. Very Jallo Oh, type. my God, yeah, the setting is so Jallo. Mm-hmm. Like, if they're not in the big Gothic castle, they're... They're on set at a fashion yeah. shoot. Yeah. Yeah, which is... Driving so in their tiny cars around the streets of... I think this is in Germany. This is in Germany, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it's it was in Italian, so... Yes. <laughs> so a lot of Italian speakers in Germany, apparently. Mm-hmm. But, um... It seems that the family curse is coming because all of these people close to the non-abusive sister are being killed. And yeah. the, the first the first one who is kind of killed is Nono himself <sighs> in that um, the queen is coming after him with like a knife, but yeah. he, he dies of fright. Yeah. And then um, they're like this, the cousin and the brother are like, oh, we heard, we heard this weird maniac laugh and, yeah. and I saw the red queen. And so they're like, oh my God, it's the curse. Yeah. And other people in the sister's life keep getting brutally murdered. Right. And, uh, you know, we fear that she's going to be the last victim and it's the family curse because she's, you know, one of the sisters. Yeah. But where is the abusive sister? Should we, should we, I guess we could tell them. I think they tell you very early in That's the movie true. where the abusive sister like, is. Like, oh, so we, we, oops, we drowned her. Oops, like, she's dead. <laughs> she's dead. Oopsie daisy. No, there is some twists and turns related to that plot. Yeah. But that plot so is she point, back from the grave? Yeah, that like plot Red point Queen comes up style? very quickly. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And so we have this accident that happens and this cover-up, which is so jollo. Oh, God, um, yeah. But it is mirroring this family curse that's so gothic horror. So And that one sister killed another, and now the other one seems to be coming back yeah. for revenge. And I love the way that they play the subversion there, because mm-hmm. it really is this... Uh, family curse movie but done entirely as a whodunit yeah yeah like, definitely it, it gets convoluted like all this, the jello movies do and i also like the subversion of it in that you would based on the story of the curse you would expect the shitty sister to be the black queen and the less shitty sister to be the red queen yeah but our like prototype red queen accidentally kills the black queen so all of a sudden it's like the roles have reversed yeah, there's, but like uh, there's Flips on top of flips. Yes, like, yeah, extremely jalo. Yeah, and that goes through like even with who's being killed and who you think is the killer mm-hmm. as it keeps going and going, is that every time someone's killed, it re- the, their death like reveals another piece of the puzzle. Right. That is just like further complicating the plot that's going on. Yeah. Like everyone has secrets in this fucking movie. Yeah, I think the favorite fish of. Italian cinematographers as a red herring. 
sure is. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Not cinematographers, but filmmakers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> fuck. The, the one problem with talking about Jalo is... I really don't want to spoil it. Mm-hmm. Kind of That's true. Let's just talk about gothic themes, then. Yeah, in terms of gothic themes, so much of the climax especially takes place in this castle. Mm-hmm. And, like, uh, we mentioned that fairly early into the movie, there is the accident that takes the sister's life. And so they're like, turns out they buried her in the vault under the castle. It's like this old crypt looking thing full of rats. And <laughs> it's just so choice. It's, it is. It's like, um, I was getting Edgar Allan Poe vibes off of it. Oh, like totally. I'm going to wall you in and cast my Montiato your ass. Yep. <laughs> we make cask Montiato jokes way too often. I live for cask Montiato. <laughs> I mean, jokes. I do too. God but... <laughs> damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i i see them come up way more often like online than i would expect so i think yeah. there there are other there are other freaks out agree. there like us little rat freaks yeah that's for <laughs> sure um anyway uh so there is like there was a lot of poe-ness to mm-hmm. this i felt with the way that the murder mystery and the cover-up was happening like i mean poe i would say is a fairly classic modernist um writer of goth boy horror like i mean king there's a reason you can always get his face on fucking shirts and all that stuff and always get like reprints of his his poems and shit and stories yeah and like different covers at chapters or whatever complete works on my kindle got Mm -hmm. it for like a buck or something it's yeah they're always coming out with new fancy covers and stuff so you can buy it yet again buy it yet again yeah yeah um did you feel like the gothic setting, like, I felt it worked really well with the Jalo thing, but mm-hmm. did you think that there's any sort of undermining going on, or, like, how maybe it affected the Jalo beyond just, like, here's a cool setting for... Um, I don't think so, it's simply because when you go to a lot of parts of Europe, and especially, like, you know, that more kind of, like, Western and Northern Europe that a lot yeah. of these movies take place in... Like, even in the cities, you'll be, just be walking around as a tourist, and it's like, oh, there's another castle. Right. Oh, okay. And there's another, like, even, like, Ber- like it's the big cities, too. Like, Berlin yeah. has, like, Charlottenburg and, like, various ones all around. And this and London, obviously, has, like, yeah. a shit ton. So it's, you know, Jalo strikes me as very, like, kind of contemporary to its time. It's usually very, like, in the present. It doesn't really go into the past. Like, yeah. they'll have elements of the past, like, whether that's, like, classical stuff, like, frescoes and whatever, yeah. or the queen in this case and things like that. But um, I think because castles are so like all over the place so there. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, it's not weird. It, 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 but, it, but I could see it being weird coming from like, you know, a North American perspective where it's like, Oh, we have like maybe we have nothing old. We have, like five castles on the whole, like, I don't know, country. Yeah. <laughs> and that's might even be exaggerating. I don't know. I think there's, right. there's like one out by Niagara Falls apparently or something. Oh, weird. I think, yeah. yeah. And I was surprised to find that out, so. Um, it's funny you mentioned the time periods of Jalo because I think Jalo is, like, hyper-modern. Like, yeah. They, the classic Jalo, it's so, like, like you know, the fashion photographer fashion Exactly, like, right, it's so yeah. it's so chic, almost. It's so chic, and it's so, like... design. And all that stuff is so much very in the present of, like, consumerism and capitalism and, like, all these... Not that I want to be like, oh, Jalo's are, like, capitalist no. flicks or something, yeah. but, but it's very much set in that very, like... It's contemporary. Very, it's very mod. Like, yes. I think of mod stuff when I yeah, see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess that makes the uh, 
maybe that's why we don't see more gothic giallos mm-hmm. because um or gialli would be the Jolly. preferred pluralization yes um because it, it feels like it would be at odd but maybe that's it's true. just like a chiaroscuro kind of thing like a nice uh contrast going. right yeah because it works seamlessly in this one for me mm-hmm. and uh i think the same goes for um the night evelyn came out of the grave hmm uh, the director's other big one. Okay, I have to tell a little story about Evelyn Came Out of the Grave, even though that's not the movie we watched, but one of my favorite fucking details of this entire movie is this, like, castle in Britain, mm-hmm. and the, to show that it's, like, hoity-toity aristocratiness, yeah. the people that they, that are there, they engage in fox hunting. Oh, right! But, <laughs> but the, the thing is, the fox... <laughs> They didn't. They didn't do their research as to what fox hunting is. They just heard the word. They literally have a corral of foxes that presumably they hunt with. <laughs> they take the foxes hunting. And it's like I love this version so much more. This is so much like, more it's wholesome. Better than the gross, shitty reality of fox hunting. Yes, foxes are lovely. Yeah, but yeah, no. Red Queen kills seven times. This one. Um, I highly recommend to the Jello fl- fans out there. I almost call them Jello flans. Wow. <laughs> Yellow flan. So, in keeping with the trend of this episode, where we didn't stay that traditional with it, because we're not traditionalists here Mm-mm. at Horror Cult, we decided to do what, in a lot of ways, is a very traditional gothic horror, but very modern. We went with uh, Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak from 2015. Which is a period piece, like it takes place in the past, not medieval, but nope. more in that kind of modern period, but coming from 2015. Yeah, like I'm pretty sure the date set in is like 1888 yeah. or 1887 or something, but it has the imagery of the big castle, yes. the big house. Kind we had to go back to the, to, the, to the old world and yeah. yeah. In Cumberland. <laughs> Cumberland. Yeah, no, this uh, this movie puts the cum in Cumberland. <laughs> It's pretty fucking horny. <laughs> okay, I need a Kleenex because boogers came out of my face with that. <laughs> oh, fuck off. <laughs> this one came out in theaters back when I was doing an 18th century lit course. So right, so you're like, we have this, to go see it. <laughs> yeah, I was so stoked to see this because, uh, well, I mean, I was reading, like, I read the Italian in that class and mm-hmm. uh, other rom- romanticism stories and all that. And it was just so fucking cool to see this movie at that time because I, I feel like it really does the mise-en-scene very well. Mise-en-scene. mise-en-scene. Yes, that does it ever. And it is so, like, sentimental and so gothic in so many ways, but it's also... There's some awareness there, not in, like, a winking at the camera way, but, like, you know, the d- open discussion between characters about ghosts as literary devices, as memory, yeah. as, like, all- representations, as opposed right. to just, like, oh, they're ghosts and shit's haunted. Yeah. Even though in the movie, there are ghosts and shit is haunted. But yeah. it's also looking at them as more of, a, like, a dev- storytelling device yeah. and the significance. And then um, with, like, the love story, there's, it's so sentimental. Yeah. It's, like, icky sweet. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, it's funny that you mentioned that they draw attention to it without winking at the camera. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the character is a writer. Yeah. At, or a wannabe writer, at least, of romantic literature. So, But not like, love stories. Because no, she's like, she I is, don't want to... Like, it's romantic, but in very much of the period And everyone chides her for that. Where it's yeah. like, go back to your, 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 your spooks inspectors kind of thing. Yeah, right? they're like, write a love story like real chick flick writers would. And she's yeah. just like, are you fucking kidding me? That's one thing that... Um, a hot take that I really liked out of my like feminism and pop culture class that I still remember 
was, um, you know how so many books written by women, women and like female authors now get like, oh, that's like chick lit. Yeah. So somebody made the argument. They're like, okay, okay. If you're calling this chick lit, the entire novel as a genre is chick lit because that mm-hmm. is exactly how it started out. It is. So if, if yeah, if you're going to say this is chick lit, I'm going to say the novel, the novel is chick lit. And that shit's canon. No, the novel, and this includes romantic literature mm-hmm. as we're talking in this, is a great example of the idea that things are chided for being for women and mm-hmm. like looked down upon until they're not. Yeah, until or, men come in and start doing it. That it has to be recouped for men. Yes. Like, that's how they do and it. And then it becomes elevated. Like, you know, the great male authors, like just like Ugh, this yeah. this fucking like the peak of writership right. as far as it's contextualized. But it yeah. really is one of those like men coming into uh, predominantly women's space and then elevating it. Yeah. Despite the fact that if you look it back at, so, like, I mean, Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, Mary Shelley, thank you for, for inventing sci-fi horror stuff for us. Like, thank you All for inventing once. a fucking genre. Two fucking genres. That we are sitting here talking about. Yeah, like, the one we're talking about, and then sci-fi, too. And then it's like, you could sit there and be like, oh, 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 but there's stuff before that. And it's like, sure, okay, let's let's look at Margaret Cavendish, <laughs> who is writing, like, Blazing World and stuff like right. that. Or, like, yeah, it's women all the way back. Mm-hmm. And it rules. Mm-hmm. It slaps. Yeah, it's awesome. We love yeah. it. So it is funny that we see people looking at her dismissively in that way mm-hmm. in the movie. When it's like, women made the novel. Yeah. Bitch. Yeah, but at that point, it was just like... Oh, no. you're just a little lady. Oh, ho, ho, you have these funny ideas in your funny little head. Oh, your silly little pretty little head. Ugh. Frustrating. Yeah. Um, and she's frustrated too. <laughs> but I do like the way that that configures into how we look at literature and specifically the idea of romantic literature and the gothic novel and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like it's right there in the character development. And then it's like she steps into this world that's right out of one of her novels, but on in some like obnoxious winking way. It's mm-hmm. not like, wow, it's like my stories I wrote. It's just like, oh shit, I fucking knew it. Ghosts are real. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now this sucks because there's fucking ghosts <laughs> and I'm dealing with some shit. Yes, totally. Early on into this movie, the main character starts getting wooed by this dude who's just like, I'm into you. Edith starts getting wooed by Thomas. That's it. Thank you. I was hoping you'd come in with the name. <laughs> Edith starts getting wooed by Thomas. So Thomas Paine, Baronet. I, I liked the names in this, actually, because um, there's, uh, I think it's Edith Cushing. And yeah, I it's think like so. Peter Cushing from like Hammer Horror fame kind oh, of thing. Okay, like all yeah. stuff. They mentioned someone who's named Cavendish, and like I mentioned the author Cavendish yep. and all that stuff. So like there's little nuggets in mm-hmm. there. But her Edith's dad is just like, this dude is some bad fucking news, and I got a private dick to figure out why. And we don't know the reason, but the dad finds the reason and just like pays him off to fuck off back to Europe kind of yeah. thing. It's just like, get the dick out of my daughter and get the fuck out of here. And break her heart while you're at it so yeah. she never wants to see your ass again. And that's how he breaks her heart is by saying like, your novel's overly sentimental and shitty. Yeah, and you don't, he's like, it's overly sentimental and so much so that you clearly don't even know what love is. You wouldn't know if it hit you in the face. You're just a spoiled little child. Like, yeah, it is cold. It is. Oh, that fucking scene when he's just like making fun of her and all that stuff. It's just like, as someone who has attempted writing and all that stuff, it hurt. That would be it was like rough. that would be gutting. Yeah, it was a rough moment. Yeah. Um but dear old daddy kicks the bucket 
in uh, in a very Del Toro way. A very Del Toro. Vibe. Okay, Del Toro and face trauma. Is he trying to like one up the eye trauma of Fulci? Because I know he's a zombie fan. Like I know True. he loves Fulci zombie. Um, he's so like, maybe what? that's his Fulciism. Yeah. His Fulciism. He's gonna be like his Fulcismo. My Fulcismo <laughs> is to just like fuck people's faces brutally. Because so many of his movies have. Well, yeah, the first one I ever saw was Pan's Labyrinth, and, like, that was the thing that stood out. I remember that scene, like, took me totally by surprise. Me, too. I was like, oh, my God. Like, what? Like, because it was right at the beginning, too. So you're like, what is this movie going to be? And, I mean, it's a brutal movie. It's Mm -hmm. a beautiful movie. But it's, it, the brutalism is absolutely there. And I don't mean brutalism, like, you know, Soviet architecture. I mean, like, like, (laughs) the brutalness. We need need gothic brutalism. Yeah, we need, okay, we need brutalist horror. Let's find it. But anyway, face drama, Del Toro. Yeah. It's a thing. We're, we have a working thesis. Yeah. And so with that out of the way, um, Thomas just Tommy P. In. Tommy P. swoops in and is just like, all right, I guess we're going to get married. I'm here for you gonna, now, baby. We're going to go to my weird castle that's up on the hill that looks like blood because of all the red clay. And that's why they call it Crimson Peak. Peak. I was so bummed that he didn't look into the camera when he said Crimson Peak. I like how we were just saying, like, oh, this movie's great because it, like, has awareness without (laughs) winking at the camera. But I feel like (laughs) if you say the name of the movie, you have to, like, pause and, like, look dead at the viewer. Maybe the ghost was when she was warning her as a child not to to beware of Crimson Peak. Beware of Crimson Peak, yeah. But she didn't have eyeballs, so we couldn't tell that she was looking at the camera. That's a good point. Yeah, because she's just, like, a skeleton ghost. But that kind of, like, omen at the start felt like... The family curse kind of thing? The family curse kind of thing coming in because it was just, like, my, my mom died and then I was visited by her ghost and she gave me this warning to heed kind of thing. Yeah. And, like, it fits so nicely into that gothic archetype totally. for the story. And, uh, yeah, then what we get is a really fucking cool ghost story. Mm-hmm. And I think even, um, like, the... I know we talk, already talked about the ghosts being a very, like, romantic and very, like, gothic kind of thing, but it also makes me think of, like, um, the role of, like, dreams. Right. Because, you know, there's always these visitations always happen at night. So, it's, with, like, the first one, she's in bed, so it's like, is she dreaming? Yeah. But then it makes me think of, like... You know, even in the Middle Ages, like, I know the, um, in, like, in the Viking Age, women, dreams were seen as, like, v- maybe not direct visions of the future, but, like, as, like, uh, messengers or, like, harbingers, kind of, of future right. events. And especially women's dreams, like, me- like, like a, wom- a woman would tell her husband what she dreamed. And it was, like, if you, you know, like, in one, I can think of one saga where she's, like, they're, like, okay, if you go to, like, this guy's castle, you're going to be fucking killed. And he's, like, well, we have to honor our commitments, and so we'll be brave. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> because it's also this idea that the future is like set in stone like you can't escape fate yeah, there's so definitely th- a fatalism there yeah so the best thing you can do as a as a you know a, a big strong man is to meet it with honor and with bravery so that's why you have all these amazing one liners where like i still love that one from uh fuck is it gizli's saga where the guy gets like stabbed in the middle of the night and he looks down at the <laughs> At the arrow or whatever it is, and he goes, struck there, and then just drops dead. <laughs> uh, okay, we need to do a fucking, like, Scandi horror episode, because you are bringing in Scandiness. All the time? All the fucking time, Yeah, dude. maybe we can get Natalie on. Oh, yes. She introduced me to Trollhunter, so, cool. so... And she actually has access, because we, we did, I remember, I don't know if it would count as horror, but I mean, there's, like, aspects that happen, but, um... Like, you can, some of the, you can get, like, some Icelandic movies that are based off of the sagas. Oh, cool. And... They're really cool to see because, I mean, you read them and they're awesome, but then you actually get to see, like, the la- them taking place in the landscape that would have inspired it, which we've been there before. Like, yeah. the plane landed and the whole place looked like it was scorched. Yeah. Like, it's so fucking cool and there's all these caves and all these, like, you know, 
fjords and shit. So yeah, that'd be that'd be cool. Okay, you bring uh, you curate an Icelandic list for us, and I'll, I will have to talk I'll, Natalie. I'll curate then. a uh, Finnish horror list because I, I got some in the in the wings. <laughs> and then we know Norwegian horror was fun. Oh yeah, they did Dead Snow, right? They, sh- I think so. Okay. <laughs> We'll figure it out. Yeah. We're going on a lot of tangents today. Yeah, a lot of tangents. A lot of, uh, I, I think it's the days are getting shorter. And so <laughs> we've got the happy light on blasting us in the yes. face. And it's like, what else will keep us alive? <laughs> this is what keeps us alive. Yes. Um, I really liked Crimson Peak as sort of a period piece. Me too. Kind of thing. I'm not usually big on period piece kind of things, but it mm-hmm. felt like it was a period piece of a specific genre. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that helps. It wasn't just like a generic like drama, yeah, but yeah. taking place in the 1800s. Yeah, like it was both a period piece in that like taking 1800s and all that stuff, but also a period piece for the uh, for romantic literature mm-hmm. and also a period piece for the like gothic horror movies of old. Like, yeah. So it's and working on a few levels. Definitely. Like it's definitely recreating that kind of like period that the genre itself kind of of comes out of so the period contemporary to those writing it yes not just contemporary to like when the stories would have taken place maybe and on top of that one thing i love about this is it doesn't do the whole since we're doing this old school thing let's like wink at the camera and make it like that like it doesn't do the fake grindhouse movie kind of thing like don't get me wrong i have a soft spot for like those sometimes right but it's one of those things where it's like no he's a modern filmmaker with all the effects and the technology and what he has at his disposal. So he's making a movie as he knows how to make a movie Mm -hmm. through that lens. And the movie doesn't pretend like it doesn't, it's not like a faux silent film or anything like that. It doesn't try to capture the fake Technicolor look or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It plays like a modern movie, but while, while hitting on all of these, uh, yeah, it's like using cooler. using modern technology and what's available to you to make the best kind of like period piece you can, I guess. Mm-hmm. Without like weird anachronistic shit, or at least nothing that stands out. Like yeah. there there probably is there. I'm obviously no like 19th century expert. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> like actually, the kind of like stones used to to make that house were like those are anachronistic. Like I don't <laughs> fucking know. I just I just think of um like with the witch. Yeah. The, um, I, I'm pretty sure I was reading that for, like, the sets to build, like, the houses and stuff, um, whoever was designing them, they had used, like, the wrong kind of, like, nails that, which you can't even fucking see, but they're like, no, this has to go. We have to do the right thing. Oh, we have to make God. it authentic. So it's like, okay, that's a little much. I appreciate dedication <laughs> to the craft. So yes. I would be bummed if I was that dude who, like, built the set and it's like, like wrong nail. Fuck. <laughs> you know, yeah. Fuck. Uh, yeah, this movie, uh, I'd only seen once before, and mm-hmm. I liked it a lot more this time, too. Yeah. Like, I liked it the first time, but I, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I still liked it for sure. I don't know if I liked it more. I guess I maybe didn't remember sort of my reaction mm-hmm. enough. I just remember enjoying it. Yeah, so, but like, I, it still it, it still stands, you know, the four years later test of time, I guess. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> if you want to sure. call four years later the test of time. Yeah. We, um... Tried to watch a fourth movie for this. <laughs> it was a bit of a mistake, so we're going to gloss right past it. But uh, I should mention that we decided to watch Ken Russell's Gothic, 1986. And the plot sounded like so choice. It sounded so good. It's just like, oh, we got um, Percy Shelley and his fiance Mary, uh, Mary Shelley, and of Mary like, Shelley Lord fame. Byron hanging out in their manor the night that they conceived Frankenstein and weird shit goes on. And I'm just like, okay. I'm sold. What? Yeah. It's Ken Russell? 
I am a defender of that dude's weirdness. Like, <laughs> Altered States fucking slaps. I really like Crimes of Passion. But, oh, God, I hate this movie hurt to watch. It was fucking cursed. Yeah, it was, um... Like, you want to talk about a family curse? This movie, like, invented <laughs> its own. Yeah, this new so movie made a curse. I was not a fan of this movie. It was fucking, like, oh, my God. Yeah. I, like, I want to be a fan just because it's so fucking, like, weird and bad. I give shit, it but... points for originality. Like, so yes. many points for originality. Okay. It's just, it didn't work for me. No, like... that's, yeah, that's a good point. That's like, it had it. kind of some of his weirdness that showed up in, like, I mentioned Crimes of Passion. Sure. But, like, that one worked. This <laughs> one didn't work for me at all. Mm-mm. It was, uh, it felt like kind of a disjointed mess, which I know is intentional. Sure. Like, you know, it's... Especially not, when they're all, like, fucking on opium just yeah. constantly. But it's one of those, uh... Like I said, it just didn't work for me. Nah. So we tried to watch a fourth one, but you know what? We've had a pretty uh, fruitful discussion with three, so we're going to stick to three. Yeah, but we will give it an honorable mention because it's it's one of a kind. And it's it's somehow, it's a 90s movie from 1986. Oh my god, like Can we the talk about soundtrack that? on this fucking movie sounded like every bad directed video 90s horror movie I've ever sat through. And I say that lovingly because yes. I continue to go back to this well. <laughs> but I cannot stand the scores to these movies yeah. and this one just like was balls deep in that kind of music <laughs> it was, oh. yeah, I was just like how is how did this movie from 1994 get made in 1986 it was like a more in your face version of castle freak as far as the score totally. was concerned yeah 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 that's yeah. a good way of putting castle it. freak now there is a god i was just thinking i was like yeah. should i recommend that but then i'm like no that was pretty recent yeah <laughs> But recommendations. Recommendations. We should get to it. Yeah, we should. Uh, I'm going to recommend a movie that we were going to watch this week, but we didn't want to overbloat things. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll come back to it sometime. It was Nightmare Castle from 1965. Black and white, Barbara Steele. It's a lot of fun. Plays with the gothic architecture in crafting this ghost story with curses. Like, it's got... I feel like it'd be a good companion piece to Black Sunday. And mm-hmm. actually to any of the movies we watched, honestly. So Nightmare Castle, Severn Films put it out in this really nice restoration that it has, like, the bonus features are several other gothic horror movies. And it's like, okay, that's cool. Sweet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so that's my recommendation. Cool. Uh, I'll have to watch that. I'm recommending one that I haven't seen it for a few years, but I remember really enjoying it. And it also came up on a lot of lists of gothic horror. It's um, The Orphanage from 2007. Right. I feel like this is playing fast and loose. Like, I mean, it's not as, like, in your face. Like, ah, yes, gothic aestheticism in terms of, like, the most basic gothic romanticism ever. Mm -hmm. Like, it plays looser with it, but I totally get it. Yeah. Like, it still has, you know, the idea, like, a lot of those, like, themes, like the ghost, the, like, old, very sort of old built, like, architecture. Instead of a castle, it's an orphanage. Yeah. But that, I mean, like, you get, especially in in Europe, so it's a Spanish movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, I know, remember it was in Spanish, but I'm like, is it from Spain? I don't I think remember. It is. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, like, I remember when I was, like, I don't know, like in Rome, there was an old orphanage that, like, I think it's it's just like an abandoned kind of derelict building now, but it was fucking gorgeous. Right. Like, back when they actually, like, made nice buildings instead of these, like, ugly ass gentrification architecture apartments that all look the same. Yeah. But that's a whole other rant. Yeah, I feel like we've had discussion. enough tangents for this episode that we probably shouldn't go off on probably another We should probably one. wrap up about now. Yeah. 
Uh, so thank you for joining us for this discussion of these movies. Um, yeah, if do you have a favorite gothic horror or something that you think we should definitely check out or you just want to recommend to other people who listen to the podcast, uh, maybe tweet at us about it. Or Instagram, and, comment, yeah. or... I think we use Facebook once in a blue moon. Once in a blue moon, we use Facebook. <laughs> it's there. I get notifications. So yeah. I do, yeah, that's true. Um, also, we are in the midst of our 31 Days of Halloween list that we curated. A list that we are very much not following ourselves because oh God, we no. do not have time to Ooh. watch all these movies on top of the movies that we watched. But they are handpicked by stuff that we really dig and mm-hmm. think would make for a good a good October viewing list. And a nice mix, too. I yeah, think. yeah, that was important, too. Like, we could do we could do a billion, like, The Things and Dawn of the Deads and just do a list like that, but I think variety's good. Yeah. like But um, we could also do some Coralines and some Monster yeah, Houses exactly. and some Under the Shadows. And... I'm still looking forward to doing an episode on kids' horror because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, as I've seen people post on Twitter and stuff, Smarter Than I, it's such a gateway drug into horror. Yes. Just, it's, uh, it's so important, and I'd love to do an episode on it. Mm-hmm. Um... But yeah, if you're watching along, if you're or if we post about one that you really dig, that's another thing. Just tweet at us, get us on Instagram, whatever. Let us know why you love it, yeah. or why you cool. don't even. If you hate it, guts. Yeah, we are attempting to be better at social media. So, because uh, yeah, some stuff we've left unanswered. Some stuff it's just like, oh, we should post something, or we could not post something. Yes, that right. So, cool. But uh, until next time. I guess you should take it easy and keep it sleazy. Mm-hmm.